welcome to the City Point Church podcast. Thanks for joining us. Every day is an opportunity to take hold of. So we hope this message inspires you and builds your faith, that it helps you have more of a God perspective for your day. Enjoy. I have a word this morning as a part of this theme, soul renovations that we're doing in November. And I started to just go off in my spirit as we were doing our previous theme, Elephant in the Room. And it's not an elephant in the room subject, but I've had it in my spirit for a little while. And it has come from maybe some of the things that we did touch on in that theme. Um, As I began to do my preparation for my preach in the previous theme, I was doing some reading around uh, the psychology of how we are processing at this time in history. And if you're wondering what that means, only 20 years ago, when we received information or when something happened in our world, the way we received the information was obviously drastically different because there was no such thing as smartphones or social media just 20 years ago, all right? And the, we had, uh, well, we didn't think it at the time, but we had a limited way in which we received news of any nature, whether it was personal news from family and friends or global news or national news. There was a certain way in which it was given through. More people still read the newspaper 20 years ago as their number one source for factual information or what would seem like a more truthful and less dramatised version of what the news is. And if you weren't uh, a reader, you would watch the nightly news on 7, 9 or 10. Three channels. That was... If you were really educated, you watched ABC. That was it. There was nothing else. But obviously our world is so different now that we have lots of different ways in which we receive information. And even more than that, so many people have gone into journalism. There are millions, actually there are billions of social media accounts where we all broadcast what the news is in our opinion through the world. And so the impact that it has had on the way we process information is drastically different than 20 years ago, 10 years ago, and even five years ago when many of us were just learning or being first exposed to social media. So what they have, uh, when I was doing my readings, what they have discovered is that we not only process differently with what we are having happen in our world around the coronavirus, about 18 to 20 months ago, something shifted in the way that we process information, how we then internally process it to be able to deal with what we're living with. They are saying that as a world, the way we process information is so different than just two years ago, simply because of what we're doing as a world at the moment. And because of this, I see a trend in the way that we actually action this. And yet, it's not a new thing. When God created the world, he set up a beautiful garden. He created two beautiful people in it. And the minute one of them did something wrong, 
and then influenced the other to become part of the party in it. When God walks into the garden and says to Adam and Eve, what have you done? They both go like this. It was her. It was him. And they say to the one that they already know knows the truth that it was somebody else. This is not a new thing. All the way through the word of God, we are brilliant at processing things that are tough by pointing the finger to somebody else. We're not slow in our speech to do it, but we love to blame somebody else. In psychology, they call this the victim mentality. But as I explore the word of God, I find that it doesn't actually right any situation. It didn't help Adam and Eve restore what was lost in that moment by placing the blame elsewhere. It didn't help anybody else in the word of God by saying it was, it was, in my opinion. But what I do actually, what I have actually discovered in the word of God is that we have a common enemy and it's not each other. And so this morning, I want to bring a word in this season because I am very aware, I don't know, give us a show of hands this morning, who has actually been water baptized in this house? Yeah, there's a lot of people. So you might have an experience similar to me. At 17 years of age, I got water baptized. It wasn't the first time I got water baptized. I got water baptized when I was like 10 or 11, swept up in the awesome emotion of kids camp at the time, and I absolutely loved it, and it was awesome. But at 17, I made a decision to not only follow Christ with my whole life, I knew that I actually wanted to follow Christ with my whole life. It would be everything I do, every breath that I would exhale or inhale would be for the glory of God. And so at 17, in our church, at the time when the baptism font was in the platform of a church, and they used to lift up the back and you'd get dunked in front of the entire church. And then when you'd come out, they would sing, what was that song they always sang? I'm a new creation. Do you remember that song? It was awesome. I thought it was great at the time. But I remember making this decision and I remember, I mean, Gray preached such a great message last week. If you are thinking about being water baptized, you want to squeeze it in between this service and heading to Dusty and Sam's today, have a listen to that because it was a great unpacking of what this means for your life. And I knew that that's what it meant for my life, that when I went down into the waters, my old life would be staying there. My opinion, my agenda, my plan for my life would be staying underneath the water. And when I, when I came out of the water, I would be stepping into all that God had for me. But this is what happened, and I'm, so I'm setting up those who have made this decision, and today you're going to be water baptized, but the truth is, is this journey doesn't stop at this moment of water baptism. We then have an ongoing journey because we're walking out our stories where there is a common enemy that comes to you in these moments where you draw a line in the sand and say, as for me and my house, or as for this vessel, this is what we're going to do. I know that when I came out of the waters, that was not the end. 
I didn't just go for the rest of my, I can't even add up how many years since then it's been, 23 years, it's just not been peachy. It's not been 100% easy. There have been incredible seasons of celebration, but then there have been incredible seasons of pain, huge hardships, because the enemy has an assignment on each and every one of our lives. And do you know when I think we make that line in the sand moment and say, I am going to follow God my whole life, I actually feel like a plan is drawn up in the other camp going, okay then. Before that, a plan doesn't need to be drawn up. I was happily rolling with the plan. But when I draw a line in the sand, when you draw a line in the sand and say, I am going to follow Christ with my whole life, there is another side to this story that formulates a plan. God has a plan and purpose for your life, but it's not the only person who has a plan and a purpose for your life. And so I want to talk today about our real enemy. In this culture at this time, it is the enemy's plan to have us divided against one another. In this processing change that we have done since the world has gone into this crazy mayhem time with this virus... It is very easy for us to open a door and step into exactly what he wants for us, not what God wants for us. He wants us confused. He wants us focused and giving glory in our conversations, in our words, in the angst in our heart around things that we aren't supposed to worry about. The Word of God says, do not worry about tomorrow. Do not worry about tomorrow. It's in his hands. And so the enemy's plan is is to have us do exactly that. It's to worry about tomorrow. It's to have us looking at each other, saying, what's your opinion on that? Well, then mine is different, so we must be divided. But do you know that The enemy has this assignment against us because the ultimate power of God and his church is when they are unified. I would love to commission us this morning to put the person, our enemy, back where they're supposed to be and have the focus there and not on one another. Each and every one of us here, brothers and sisters, are sitting here today because you were meant to edify one another, not to sway one another in your opinion. We're meant to encourage and exhort and take people on journeys of growth and maturity in Christ. That's what you've been called to do. You've been called with your lips to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not what your political view is, not what your view on a virus or a vax is. Those conversations, and I'm going to say this really plainly this morning, divide people. 
And yet our words were used or are to be used to edify and encourage and exhort and lift one another. Do you know my favourite conversations are when you come together to have coffee because everything awesome comes together around coffee. It is. It's the nectar of Christians. All right? Not in my opinion. I'm sure it's in there somewhere. But I love when I come together with people and the first thing off their lips, David, is David here this morning? David Grieve. Is he in the service this morning? David Grieve, if you've never met David Grieve, you want to meet David Grieve. Yeah, he's awesome. When you come together on a Sunday during the week, he's a sign writer by trade, so he's out doing his trade. When he comes in, the thing I love the most about a conversation with David Grieve is the first thing he'll say is, guess what God's been talking to me about? And so I walk away from the conversation encouraged. He's used his words to exhort and encourage. But I often walk away with fresh revelation every time or confirmation of what God is doing in my life or in this church because David loves to use his words to exhort and to encourage, to prophesy where we're going. That's exactly how we were intended to use our words. And so this morning I want to bring a message and I'm calling this Know Your Enemy. Know your enemy. We all fight battles in life, but do we really know who we are fighting? The truth is there are two forces at work in the world. There is good and evil. God is good and Satan is evil. Since Satan cannot hurt God, he fights against his children, those who have believed in Jesus Christ as their saviour. He hopes to hurt God through hurting us. Have you ever thought about that? If Satan is God's enemy, the only way he can hurt God is by getting to us, his children. Now, I'm a mum, so I understand this. All of those who are parents in this house, we know that the greatest way to hurt us is not directly to us, but through our most precious cargo, our children. This is exactly the same for God. If Satan is God's enemy, then he's going to get to the kids, all right? You see, our fight is not against people or even with circumstances, but the devil. 1 Peter 5, 8 says that the enemy of yours, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, fiercely hungry, says the Amplified Version, seeking someone to devour. But there's good news. That someone doesn't have to be you or I. Through studying the word of God, we can get to know the enemy's tactics and avoid being deceived and trapped by him. He is not more powerful than the God you serve, the God you worship, the God you glorify. I'm not implying that Satan doesn't have any power. He does. And we should take that fact seriously. But let's remember that he's not actually a roaring lion. The Bible says he is like a roaring lion. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And Satan can only portray an imitation of what is real and true. 
He is an imitator of who God is. The devil is a liar and he can only harm people who believe him and are deceived by him. God's word helps us to realize that we are fighting from a vantage point of victory already won by Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul writes this in Romans 8, 37. It says, Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors and gain an overwhelming victory through him who loves us. So much that he died for us. Believing what God says about us in his word and seeing ourselves as he sees us in one way, we let him fight our battles for us. We know that before the battles even begun, we have the victory. We may have to walk through some really big difficulties and trials in life, but we can stand strong in faith because we know how the story ends. Pastor Rick used to always say this to me, and I loved this. When everything was feeling overwhelming and everything seemed to be going chaotic, he said he'd stop everything in the office. He'd go, Mel, you know that God's going to win, right? You don't have to win. You just have to keep being faithful. We're not going to get to heaven and God lost. We're not going to get to heaven and God lost. So what do we really believe? The Bible says that Satan is, John John 8, sorry, verse 44, a liar and the father of lies. In fact... We give Satan more power over us when we choose to believe his lies. To believe a lie is to be deceived. Now, often in in church world, we look at this word deceived or deception and we see it as a far gone, totally unaware. No, the Bible says literally to believe a lie. Now, how many times have you been told something from a friend that you found out later? Was, had a different truth to it. And yet this says here, to believe a lie is to be deceived. But here's the thing. When we are deceived, we're not aware that we're deceived. We believe what we think is true and we act accordingly to it. One of the most difficult tasks I've encountered in ministry is to try and convince someone who is deeply deceived that they are wrong about what they believe. And so a number of years ago, I read an incredible book by Lisa Bevere, and one statement stood out to me that I have had to go through my head, particularly with dealing with people who are believing their truth and yet not the truth of the Word of God. Lisa Bevere says, you can't fight a lie with the truth. That is actually what deception is. Let's think for a moment how this affects our lives. If we're unaware that Satan is a real threat, and that we don't know his character, he can easily deceive us and we can end up believing many things that are not true. These beliefs will keep us from enjoying the life that God has actually intended for each and every one of us. For example, if you've ever lived in poverty or if, what if you lived in poverty all your life and when you were ready to die, someone told you that your grandparents had left you an inheritance of billions of dollars? but you've lived poor for the last 40 years. You could have enjoyed a totally different life had you known. But since you didn't know anything about that inheritance, you miss out not only on the inheritance, but the life that it could have had for you. 
This is what our lives look like when we believe Satan's lies about us and don't know the truth of God's word in us. The spiritual and material riches of Christ's inheritance are amazing, but we miss out on them because we lack the knowledge of them. We have to stop and ask ourselves what lies we might be believing right now that are preventing us from entering into the fullness of the life that Jesus Christ wants us to have. And there's really, really good news here. God's word is an antidote to Satan's lies. It helps us recognize the truth and expose the enemy's attempts to deceive us. As we read and study and more importantly believe God's word, we begin to think the way that God wants us to think. It helps us to be in agreement with him and to bring to pass the good plan and purpose that he has for each and every one of our lives. So how do we do this? How do we do this? If the enemy is such a good deceiver and many of us in many areas of our lives don't know what we don't know, how do we do this? I want to bring it into three quick points this morning. Number one is by winning the battle in our mind. Winning the battle in our mind. Paul writes in Romans 12, verse 2 in the Amplified Version, we are not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed and progressively changed as you mature spiritually, is what the Amplified Version says. As you mature spiritually, by the renewing of your mind, focusing on godly values and ethical attitudes. We are not to be conformed to the ways of this world, but transformed as we spiritually mature. In other words, we are not to think or behave as worldly people do. Instead, we are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds according to God's word so that we may prove what God's will is and experience the good plan that he has for each and every one of us. Satan fights relentlessly against the good plan that God has for our life. He has an assignment against your world. And he does this through lies, deceptions, and various strategies. He attempts to keep us distracted through sending trouble and difficulties our way. Doesn't matter whether it's individually or as a world. However, studying the word of God, being in your word, is how we learn right from wrong. It's how we are transformed. It's how we receive fresh revelation. The Holy Spirit who lives in us and is the helper in life, sows the word of God into our hearts and our spirits. He teaches us the truth that protects us from the lies of the enemy. If you have the word of God inside of your life, if you are opening his word and reading it afresh daily, you have the ability to have his word so deep into your spirit. So renewing our minds with God's word is one of the most important things that we can do. We must learn to think in an entirely new way. We might have had years of practicing thinking in a specific way that is contrary to what God says. So learning to come into agreement with God's word will take time, but with the Holy Spirit it is totally possible. Do you know the word transformed as used in Romans 12 too, actually means to be changed completely according to a new inner reality? That's what it means. God thinks, uh, sorry, God does this incredible work in us. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, 
If anyone is in Christ that is, graft, that is grafted in, joined to him by faith in him as a saviour, he is a new creature, reborn and renewed by the Holy Spirit. The old things, the previous moral and spiritual condition have passed away. And behold, new things have come because spiritual awakening brings new life. That's the amplified version of 2 Corinthians. We become a new creation as we learn to think and behave accordingly to the new reality. And our entire lives change. Your behaviours change. The way you think change. The way you carry and process information changes. This happens, however, gradually and depends on our persistence to gain knowledge and revelation in God's word. His will and his ways for our life are uh, outworked in our lives when we are in his word getting new revelation and being transformed by his spirit. It also depends, however, on our willingness to submit our thinking and actions to God. If we allow ourselves to be conformed to the world, we will, we will think as they will think and how they tell us to think. But thankfully, as children of God, we have another option. And to live a wonderful life that God has provided for us through his death and resurrection is the design that God has for each and every one of us. So we have to, have to bring every thought into captivity. We have to allow the Holy Spirit to renew our mind through his word. And what he does in this process is he helps us to identify what the truth is. For many of us right now in this world... There is such a question mark over a number of subjects on what is actually the truth. Do you know God's word is always true? Because God himself is truth. And so everything that we have ever gone through for all of humanity, you can find the answers in his word. But we have to know, which is point number two, we have to know absolute truth. We have to know absolute truth. People who don't believe in God or in a traditional Christianity often do not believe God's word is the absolute truth. When people hold this view, it is very easy for Satan to deceive them because they have nothing concrete on which to judge anything. Joyce Meyer says, if you don't stand for something, you will fall for anything. And this is a dangerous position to be in. For instance, Relativism declares that no absolute, that there are no absolutes because all things are relative to other things. The relativist states that the truth is relative to a person's situation or to what he or she feels. I don't deny that relativism is a principle and that it must be applied in some situations, but it cannot be applied to God's word. For example, if someone invites me to a party which I will accept the invitation to. Whether I go or not may be relative to what kind of party it is, my schedule, or any other number of factors regarding this specific event. But if someone asks me if I believe God is good, then the answer is simply yes. That is not and never will be relative to anything else. The truth is simple that God is good. It's not based on my circumstances. It's not based on my schedule. It's based on who he is. 
Absolute truth can be defined as an inflexible reality, fixed, invariable, and unalterable. Personally, I believe God's word is the absolute truth and we have to catch this in our spirits that it is the absolute truth and when question marks, which they do happen, happen in society, so when there is a new news uh, headline, the very first thing we should do is come and open the word of God and look for the truth. It can be depended on every time, every time. I believe that it is absolute truth. My understanding of his word will grow and change as I persistently study and learn, but his word will always be the same. It is the standard on which I base all of my decisions and by which I measure my thoughts. And it is the only way I know how to recognize the lies of the devil and prevent myself from being deceived. That is what we need to do, church. In this current climate, that is what we need to do. Satan has many tricks to try and deceive us. He attempts to prevent Jesus, uh, he, sorry, he, uh, his attempts to present Jesus as a historical figure instead of a savior for mankind. For instance, many false religions won't deny that Jesus exists or his existence or that he had power. They simply deny that he's the son of God today. False religions are a mixture of some truth and some error. And this is what makes them dangerous. It's the enemy's plan to deceive. To simply believe everything you read or everything somebody else, loved one or not, says without checking its source is not wisdom, which is what the Holy Spirit prompts us to do. With wisdom, we open his word and look for truth. John urges believers to test and try the spirits because many false prophets are in the world. Test what you hear. Read and believe. Ask if it agrees with God's word and if it truly works in your life and produces good fruit. Find the truth, hold it firmly in your heart and never let it go. This is how we test out. We've got to know who the enemy is and how to deal with the deception and lies that he sends our way. Do you know, I was thinking about this. I went through a season, probably about 10 to 12 years of my life, in my 20s, where I, I, I'm sure there will be many people sitting here today who uh, will have a similar testimony to mine. But I remember this season in my life, and just through a lack of uh, maturity in my walk with Jesus, I had a mindset that bad things were of the world and not an assignment against my life, but because I followed Christ, all good things were from God. And so the truth is, is I kind of blocked out that that side of the spiritual realm existed. Has anybody else done this? Where they kind of go, I've accepted Jesus, meaning the door is shut on all other spiritual things. And so now this is just the life I get to lead. I'm on the good side and everybody else is on the bad side. Has anybody else ever had this or is this limited to me? Sometimes I forget that there is literally an assignment, that there are powers of darkness at work in the world and I've looked at them and they were, I've viewed them as those who are in the world have them operating but not me because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And yet I had a revelation just before I hit 30 of the assignment that the enemy had on my life. 
He has an assignment. I've now realized that when we open the door to Jesus, we become aware and engaged in the battle in the spiritual realm. Two sides. Both sides. But we have weapons in our arsenal that God has given us to fight this battle well. And that's what we're to do. And I want to talk about just one of those today. We often will throw this word out, but it is a weapon that is so powerful when you step into the battle and you begin to take ground, not just receiving incredible truth and wisdom and revelation by the Holy Spirit through his word, but there is a weapon that will wage war in the spiritual realm that push back the forces of darkness for your world, for your family's world, for your children's world that needs to be exercised with a new passion. And that is the incredible power of prayer. There's a reason why Gray made a declaration nearly three years ago, this will be known as a house of prayer. Why? Because the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against it. It's not just because Christians pray and it's a principle or a discipline that we do. No, it's because the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Christians are meant to know joy and peace and that isn't possible until we know how to pray and have a confidence in the power of prayer. God actually needs our prayers because it's a because there is a great deal he desires to do and cannot do it unless somebody asks him to do it. That's the revelation about prayer that I have had since Gray cast that out three years ago. I thought prayer was a good thing. And I've seen the power of the miraculous happen when prayer has been done. However, I do realize that there are things not yet done in this community because somebody who is called to stand and pray and ask God for it hasn't done that yet. You and I are called to petition heaven to push back the powers of darkness in our families' lives, in our lives, in our community's lives. What is happening in this community right now that we have not asked for as a church yet? Because the Word of God says, ask anything in my name and I will hear from heaven. And I will move. I will move on behalf of you. It seems impossible that God would need us for anything. But since he works through us, he needs us. Obviously, God can do anything he chooses without anybody's help. But he's committed himself to partnering with his children. That's incredible. If we want to do much for God, then we have to ask much of God. Paul says that God is, in Ephesians 3.20, able to do super abundantly more than all we dare ask or think. Now, I'm a person who loves risk, so there is a little word in there that says that we dare ask. That should be a challenge to each and every one of us. Are my prayers simply a base level of what I just need covered? Or would I get a fire in my belly and be daring to ask impossible things? Would we get a fire in our belly this morning and be daring to ask for things that have not been
been asked for in this region. As we were praying at our last prayer meeting, I heard the urgency in the prayer that often comes out in our prayer meetings for the souls of our community. But I wonder if we weren't just calling for souls, but we were calling for really specific things. Would we dare to ask God that we no longer be known as the suicide capital of Australia? Would we dare to ask for the lives of our young men in our region? Legitimately, would we dare to ask God for the lives of the young men in our community? From 18 to 25, would we dare? Honestly, would we dare to ask for an ice-free community? When it's robbing so many families, so many lives in our community, would we dare? Would we dare? I don't know about you, but I love a good dare. But according to Ephesians 3.20, so does God. Able to do super abundantly more than all we dare ask or think. Satan desires that we don't pray at all and that if we do pray that we ask for very little. He hates bold, aggressive, confident, daring prayers. Just think of your own prayers and how often they are attacked in some way. For example, the phone rings when you're praying and you feel compelled to answer it. Or someone has an emergency just as you're about to pray and you have to change your plans or you suddenly become incredibly sleepy because you've just begun to pray. Or even if we do succeed at putting time into prayer, the devil will immediately sow a thought into our mind that our prayers are not done right, that we didn't pray about the right things in the right way or for long enough. James 5:16 in the New Testament and the New King James says, "The fervent prayer of a righteous person is powerful." The word fervent may give us the idea that our prayers need to be intense, although it's only one part of the definition of the word fervent. Fervent means to be sincere and heartfelt. I don't know about you, but that to me says then, God, I need you to break my heart for what breaks your heart so that when I ask, And when I dare to ask for things that seem impossible in the natural, I need to know, I need to feel them in my heart and my spirit. Sincere and heartfelt. My prayers are usually really simple, but they are sincere. Church, would we have sincere, heartfelt prayers that are daring to ask God to do things in our lives? Would you dare to ask God for more than enough in your life? Not just enough. Honestly, some some people in this house this morning, I just got that, the Holy Spirit has just said to me, you are asking for enough to cover what's just come in and is sitting on a mantel place or in a mail thing. 
but you should be asking for more than enough to be able to cover people in your world who you know are also going through those things. Would you be daring? Would you let their burden touch your spirit and your heart enough to go, God, you are the God of more than enough, so I'm daring to ask for more than enough through my hands for the sake of others. Heartfelt and sincere. We have to be cautious not to let the enemy deceive us concerning the validity of our prayers. When we pray in faith, know that God hears your prayers and he will answer in his way, his timing and his will. John 16, 23 says, For here is eternal truth. When that time comes, you won't need to ask for anything, but instead you will go directly to the Father and ask him for all you desire and he will give it to you because of your relationship with me. Until now, you've not been bold enough to ask the Father for a single thing in my name. Oh, that's a challenge. Is anybody else going, oh, that's me, that's, that's pricking something there. You've not been bold enough to ask the Father for a single thing in my name, but now you can ask and keep on asking him. And you can be sure that you'll receive what you ask for and your joy will have no limit. When Pastor Rick used to preach at our old location, I used to have a, have a term that I, I think many of us would feel when he would preach. He would make you laugh and then he'd slap you with something. That's what I feel like John 16, 23. You know what I'm talking about, where you're like, oh, I'm super encouraged or I'm feeling really comfortable. Slap! <laughs> like, oh, darn, that was painful. That's what John 16, 23 says. It says, for here's the eternal truth. That when it comes time for you to pray, you're not asking me for anything. But instead, would you go to the Father and he will give it to you because of your relationship with me. Until now, you've not been bold enough. That's okay. Because it's now time to ask the Father. Ask the Father in my name. And you can be sure that you will receive what you ask for. And because of it, your joy will have no limits. Do you know I'm gonna ask us in just a moment to stand. And I'm gonna create just a moment while the team plays for some of us to get our ask on. That's a little braver than what we've ever done. Maybe not a little braver. I'm gonna ask some of you to dare in your prayer. Or tweet that, dare in your prayer. To dare in your prayer. This morning, some of you have walked in and there is a doctor's report, like Graham said, that needs to be rewritten. But not just for your world. Because of it, you've met people in the same sphere, in the hospitals or in the waiting rooms or in the wards that you've been walking in because they're walking similar journeys. Would you dare to pray for your healing and theirs this morning? Some of you have been asking God to provide what's just enough. But would you dare to pray this morning for more than enough so that you now are an influence with generosity to others in your world. 
Some of you have been asking for behaviours in children to cease. Would you dare to believe that their whole life will take a shift and that they will be living to the glory of God with a plan and purpose for their life? Would we dare to believe this morning for something different? Why don't we stand to our feet and close our eyes this morning? Father, right now, each and every one of us, we're standing here this morning because there is a common enemy who has an agenda against our lives. It's not each other, it's not the person sitting beside us, even if on the way to church, there was some friction in the car. The enemy has an assignment on each and every one of us. But you have a plan and a purpose for each and every one of us. You are the truth that we can stand on. You are our hope and we put our faith in you this morning, Lord. Would you give each and every person, this is my prayer this morning, as this word went out, that you would give each and every one of us the desire, literally like a kindling fire beginning in our spirits and our hearts and our bellies, would you put that in us to dive into your word, to thirst after your word, to open the word as our first response and our last response so that we receive fresh revelation, that we receive uh, truth over every situation, that our minds and our spirits are captivated by your word and the revelation that you are giving us. God, I pray right now that all deception be gone in the name of Jesus Christ. Worry, doubt, anxiety, spirit of heaviness. In the name of Jesus Christ, be gone. That's all it takes, sincere heart. Do you know I knew this morning as I stepped into this building that with no huge fanfare, the Holy Spirit was literally going to have scales come off eyes, spiritual scales off ideas, off thoughts, off ways of thinking for years and years and years, that if you open your heart right now, humble yourself, he will do. God, that's what we do in your presence today. We humble ourselves and we allow you to remove those things that have hindered us, that have held us back, that have deceived us. And we submit our spirits and our lives to you this morning, God. Right now, while we are praying, I know that the Holy Spirit has dropped some big dare asks in people. I'm going to ask right now, and the band is just going to sing, and I'm going to ask right now, would you be bold enough while they worship to begin to voice those things? Not just in here, voice them out loud. We're going to ask and dare and to believe that God is going to do some impossible things here this morning. Some of you are going to ask for businesses, even though you've never done business before. Some of you are going to ask for husbands or wives, even though there's not anybody you've ever seen or met before. 
Some of you are going to call children home, but not just see them, not living in the world. You're going to see them outworking the call of God on their lives. Come on. Let's begin to pray and get daring in our spirits. Hallelujah. Come on. Let's go. Come on. There's somebody here who's got a loved one who has uh, suffered with alcoholism their whole life. I don't know who this is, but I literally saw a hospital bed and you tending to them. And this has just wreaked havoc on your life. And yet I just literally saw that person get up out of the bed and walk into the house of God and begin to worship God. If that is you, I'm going to ask you, would you come? And get, stand on the altar this morning. I also uh, felt that there is somebody who's got something, I don't even know what it is, but it's in your left leg and there is pain shooting all the way down your leg. But a dare and an ask of God this morning is going to restore what is going in. I'm feeling all the pain go down my leg and in my knee. Something is going on right there. There is also somebody who has a young person in their life who is on ice and you walked this journey for a while and God wants to say that there is actually a man or a woman, I, I feel like it's a young man and he is going to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and you're going to come and stand with a bold ass on this altar this morning, any one of those, it doesn't matter whether you are coming up now or when the team begins to worship soon, I'm going to ask would you stand in the gap for them. I also have Somebody has got, you're feeling, a great got this word last week and I've just seen it like prison gates. You feel trapped by something and it's like it is immovable. Would you dare to ask this morning 
for God to release. Matthew preached about it this morning that chains were taken off Barabbas because Jesus did it. Would you stand out in faith this morning with a brave, daring ask this morning? As we go into ministry, I'm going to ask those guys, would you come down? One of the team are going to stand and pray with you this morning. But I don't want to move on just yet. I want to ask one more thing, which is a really brave, daring ask, okay? Matthew so beautifully unpacked this morning what Jesus has done for us. We all deserved to go to the cross. Every one of us. And to bring it beautifully into my preach, if you don't think you do, I would be praying for deception. Every single one of us deserved to pay for the things that we have done in our lives. But Jesus stood silently in what seemed like was a people's choice to have Barabbas free. But it was never a people's choice. It was God's intention to pay for everything that you and I have done, past, present, and future. Because we're not gonna be perfect. The enemy does have an assignment against us. But you get to walk in strength when you walk with Jesus Christ. And so if you are in this place today and you have never entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, or maybe you walked far away from him and today you're here in this house because you knew you needed to be here to come back into relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm going to send out an invitation in just a minute for you to respond to Jesus. He's calling you by name today and he's saying, come back in a relationship with me. I will walk with you. You can know truth. I want to reveal my love for you. It is because of my incredible love for you that I chose the cross. It's not just because you couldn't do it. It's because I love you. Because I want more for you. Because there is a plan and a purpose for your life that is beyond what you can think and what you can understand. It is valuable. I see you. I love you. You are known by me. This morning, would you respond to Jesus and say, I want to know you too like that and accept him as your Lord and Savior. Just as all eyes are closed right now and I look across the auditorium, if that is you this morning and you would like to respond to Jesus and say, I need to come into relationship with Jesus. I'm not going to pull you out the front. I'm just going to ask you to slip your hand up so I can see you and I can pray with you this morning. Is there anybody here this morning? who says, yes, I need to walk with Jesus now. Yes, I see that hand. Incredible decision. Is there anybody else as I look across? Is there anybody else as I look across? I'm just going to create just one more minute. This is one of the most important things you'll ever do. If there's anybody else who says, yes, that's me this morning. Amazing. Do you know this decision you've made this morning is the greatest decision you'll ever make? But although you've made a decision, all of heaven is rejoicing right now.
because God has been waiting to say, oh, I love you, daughter. I love you. 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 I'm going to pray a prayer. And I'm going to ask that you repeat it after me. Everybody else is going to do this as well as we pray together and believe that right with your step of faith of going, yeah, that's me, that Jesus will meet you right where you're at right now. Come on, let's pray this morning. Father, this morning, I accept your gift of salvation through the precious blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for me, a price I couldn't pay. You did for me. And so this morning, I accept you as my Lord and my Saviour. Would you guide each step from here as I learn who you are and your purpose for my life? In Jesus' precious name, amen. Come on, let's give him a shout of praise and shout.